And away we go. It is the BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. You know the deal next time you're downtown. Bengals game. Maybe, you, maybe you're going to tailgate when the Browns are in town to end the season. Well, make sure you are stopping by and visiting our good friends at the Holy Grail on the Banks. Awesome food, great drinks, lots of cold Cincy light. And the good news is, on top of your Cincy light uh, donation that you get just for buying the beer, Holy Grail will take 50 cents of every Cincy light purchased and donate it back to Cincy Reigns. So... Support the people that support us and uh, make sure every time you are at the banks, stopping by and at least, uh, you know, having a beverage with our good friends. All right, let's uh, let's get this show on the road. I am excited about this one. This one is has been in the works for a while now, but we wanted to make sure that we were allowed to talk about recruits uh, and talk about recruits with anybody that works at the school. So they put pen to paper yesterday, and that means tonight we now have the general manager for the Cincinnati Bearcats football program, Zach Grant. Zach, welcome to the show. It has been a long time coming. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's a, it's a privilege. Uh, obviously, I wish we could have gone on earlier, but the fact I can actually talk about these guys makes it makes it a whole lot better. So, so awesome. Yeah, well. I know how fans work. The problem is if we would have had you on and we couldn't talk about recruits, they would have been like, why the hell did you have them on? And <laughs> let's, 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 now we can do a little bit of everything. We can get into to your backstory and then we can get into uh, the class and, and kind of the direction that the recruiting department uh, is in now. Um, the, the beauty of it is, I think, is we're in a, a huge shift in college football. Um, and, and the way that things are done. And I think it's better across the board for the sport. But we will get into that uh, as we get going. Um, you know what, Aaron? Let's eh, – we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out because we normally do a bunch of segments and we have sponsors, and this is all going to kind of be one thing. So uh, I'll, I'll figure it out on the fly. Uh, I follow your lead. I know. I, I, I was going to do one to start. Let's, you know what? Let's do one to start. Team Ticker. Let's get Team Ticker uh, and, and get them in here at the beginning before we get this thing moving. Are you familiar with Team Ticker, Zach? Uh, I'm not. I'm about to be, though. You see what this is right here? Yeah. That's a Team Ticker. They've oh. got the seat ball, as Aaron's got in the back. They've got the Bearcat. Uh, they are live with Michigan State and Penn State and uh, West Virginia is uh is about to go live as well and uh fifty dollars off your purchase using promo code holiday you get all the stats all the scores all the updates when uh any uh uc game is about to start it plays the fight song so like today i was sitting in my office getting ready to go do radio at one o'clock there was a women's game i was not expecting it and all of a sudden the fight song is uh blaring through my office um <laughs> But uh, a lot of good information on signing day and all of that stuff in there as well. So teamticker.com, $50 off with promo code HOLIDAY at checkout. They are awesome. All right, there we go. You should get you one of those. 
Yeah, I might need one. I'll ask my wife where to put it in the house. Yeah, if you're like Dave, Dave says he can't. There's no power anywhere near him. So he's got one, but he hasn't uh, hung it yet. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. When you move and buy a new house in like a decade. Finish the uh, basement. We'll... And, you know. <laughs> All right, Dave. I know you got you got your prepared questions, and we have guests. Dave kind of takes the driver's seat on these, so I will turn it over to Dave, and and I'll chime in as necessary. For sure, for sure. Thank you for joining us. Kind of from the beginning, I just want to get an idea. As someone whose dream job growing up was to be the GM of the Bengals, how does in today's college football? What does GM of you see football really mean like what are kind of your if you if you said you're like three main bullet point responsibilities and then how does that kind of trickle down to the rest of the staff whether it's jack Cass, anybody else that kind of fits in under that you know off-field roster so to speak part of 2023 college football yeah, it's a great question. Um, at the very simplest level, my job is to, to manage the roster um, and acquire talent through the lens of the head coach. So, you know, it's not like professional sports. Coach Satterfield's really the GM. He makes the he's the, has the final say in all personnel decisions. But it's my job to make sure our assistant coaches know exactly the vision we're trying to go after when we acquire talent, um, whether through high school or the transfer portal. Um, and then part of that is managing the recruiting office and the whole recruiting operation. Um, now we got myself and five other full-time, uh, uh, staffers there in the recruiting office. Um, I tried to cover all four pillars of the recruiting, uh, like procedure, as I like to call it, the identification, evaluation, uh, communication and marketing, and then customer service, kind of like on-campus recruiting. So we've got Cass Simmons, does a great job on the communication side of things, uh, you know, being the liaison between the the coaches and the recruits and setting up phone calls. Not only that, but, you know, communicating with an insane amount of players. Like, and he's so invaluable because it's something I could never do. Like, I, I, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at recruiting, but Cass is on a whole nother level. So I um, mean, then Jack Griffith and Carter Wilson handled the, the scouting operation. We kind of split it up portal um, and college scouting and then uh, high school and Carter handles the high school. Jack handles the, the portal scouting, which you'd think if you're kind of looking at it from the outside that it, he's really only working two weeks, two weeks out of the year, but, uh, he's trying to evaluate all the players ahead of time to try to see who we need to go after in advance. And when 500 guys hit the portal, um, we have those evaluations done. So we're not sifting through it and taking up time and we can kind of get our ducks in a row and be aggressive and uh, on the front end. Um, then he also helps Carter and Carter helps him when the, the times are busy. And then uh, Ashley uh, Hasimovich and Caroline Tart uh, handle our on-campus recruiting. So, Anytime a player comes to campus, we want to treat them like we're rolling out the red carpet, like they're going to the Ritz-Carlton. So it's first-class service all the time, um, whether that's an official visit or an unofficial visit. 
Um, so my job is to manage them and put them in positions to have success and then kind of be the intermediary between the, the coaches and the head coach so that if we lose a position coach, we're still recruiting at the same level and the same manner and the same types of players um, as Coach Sat sees fit uh, no matter what. So last night you guys had the signing day event and it was a great event for, for anybody that was attended or, or didn't, I would highly recommend it next year. There was one, you got to speak for a little bit and there was one thing that got my attention that I'm hoping you can kind of go into again here is when you talked about how recruits get on your list and the mm -hmm. process of that, it was like, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding, but you really broke it down quite well. It's like how many layers it takes and the offers and everything. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Cause I feel like a lot of people would find that pretty fascinating. Yeah. So that's step one of the whole recruiting process for me. And like the, you know, the, the journey of a recruit is the identification process before we know how to recruit a kid before we know who to talk to, we have to evaluate them. And before we know how to evaluate them or who to evaluate, they have to get on our, our list, so to speak. Um, so we have certain processes that we go through to make sure that at the end of the day, anybody who's signing with a, a power five team within our recruiting footprint or group of five team has been evaluated by us. So like at the end of the day, um, I had a past head coach that I worked for that would just, he would say that it it's on me in the recruiting office. If a guy signs with another a school in our conference and we didn't know about him, we're going to go through at the end of the year and look at everybody who signed um, in our conference and say, did we know about that kid? What was our grade? And then why didn't we get him? Was it because we didn't want him? Was it because we wanted him? But we didn't get him is because he was out of region. So we didn't care. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So to prevent us from not knowing about someone, to me, that's the worst thing you could ever do um, is have a guy in, you know, Nashville, Tennessee or wherever that's within our recruiting footprint and us never even have known about him. So the process we go through to make sure that doesn't happen, um, we have a company that we subscribe to called Zcruit um, that essentially scrubs Twitter uh for when kids are posting offers and they they kind of turn it into a report for you so we have certain parameters and filters based on how far away the player is from cincinnati now if they're from ohio or anywhere within a hundred mile radius we're gonna essentially get a guy on the list which is identify them uh, so that we get an evaluation in if they're um offered by an fcs or higher level and then it kind of works its way out as we get further away to where it's like a power five offer in the state of Florida or a team that we have identified in house that, that does a really good job that we want to make sure we know what they're doing. Um, so we'll track all their guys too. Um, and I mean, Z crude can break it down to like whoever a specific person follows and Carter uh, might as well work for Z crude too. He's a wizard on that thing. So, <laughs> um, he did a great job of identifying some players in this cycle who, um, I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm like, how'd you find this kid? But, um, you know, the, the other step to that, aside from just like a, a simple offer report is 
when our coaches go out on the road, there's certain NCA rules that we have to abide by. You get a certain amount of days in the spring. So like you get 162 recruiting days in the spring. Um, so if you have 10 coaches out, um, on one day, that's 10 days. So if you spend all 10 coaches out for a week and five days, that's 50. So like in the whole spring, we want to use all 162 days. And when a coach is out, they're not just going to one school to see like the player, like say there's a corner, uh, up in Columbus, we're, we're going to make sure whatever coaches in Columbus is hitting as many schools as possible that day so that he can have communication with the high school coach. And if a high school coach recommends a kid to us, they also get on that list, whether they're already on that list or not. And, um, you know, based on the offer and the suggestion, and as it relates to that, we will prioritize that giant list essentially in, in certain ways. And, um, go through it. And then from there, once a player has been identified, it's time to evaluate them. So we have our own grading system. Um, it's kind of two tiered in the end. However, what grade we put on the player, we want to know what we want to do with them. So is it a guy where we want to offer? Is it a guy we need to see them in the spring? Is it a guy we need to watch senior tape on? Like, what are we doing next with that player? Um, so once that happens, our our interns will have the first kind of look at the player and they'll give everybody to Carter and Jack. And then the ones that are good enough come to me and the ones that we as a unit there select will show to the coaches. Um, we actually watch film even during the season every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from eight to nine with the coaches. And that's kind of rare from what I've seen in college football uh, for the coaches to spend that investment in the season to get their evaluation, everyone in the same room. Uh, that way on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, there's, we've all seen this guy, there's conviction about it. Everyone's eyes been on there. Any points of discussion and contention with a disagreement can be ironed out. And then we'll rewatch it with the head coach in the afternoon on both those days. And um, from there, you know, the, the recruiting process isn't over. If we like them enough, we got to go get them. But um, that's just the first step in it. And anytime you hear Coach Sat talk about recruiting and evaluation and the whole process, the biggest thing for him is evaluating the character of the player. So, I, I mean, I think it's usually relatively easy to see if a kid is good enough just based on the tape. Um, but then we got to see all the intangibles. Um, is he, you know, get the transcript? Is he tardy? Is the GPA good enough? Um, and we're not going to kill a kid based on one thing or another, and we're not going to take him just because of that, but it all goes into the full 360 view of the player. And, um, so a lot goes into it. And then our conversations with the kid will dictate a lot of how hard we're going to recruit him, whether he has the right mentality. And when he gets to campus, I want to look him in the eye and make sure, uh, he has the right makeup and, Football is a hard sport and it's grueling. And I do think right now in college football, there's a lot of excuses a player can make to not be the most tough, physical, committed to football and loving the game and the best process of themselves or becoming the best version of themselves. Um, so if we can identify those guys with that edge and that mentality, um, 
in this environment in college football, when there's an easy excuse, you can just go on the portal if you want to leave, then, you know, we get the right mentality. That's kind of a big advantage now, um, as opposed to like 15 years ago when you could kind of knock that mentality into a kid. Uh, they have the excuse right away to leave if they don't love football. So we got to get the ones that do. So I'm sorry, that was extremely long-winded. No, it's no, because I think it's you know I think for fans like they see titles and they see recruiting, but like how a kid goes, like I just thought it was interesting last night when you were talking about like you know if he gets a G5 offer if he's within a hundred miles, like how a kid goes from first coming on to your radar at all to all the way to like we really really want this kid like there's a lot that goes into that it's not just as simple as like throwing on five minutes of a huddle tape and being like yeah that kid's good let's go recruit him uh, wouldn't it yeah. be pastoriza almost like yeah that's an exa- that's a perfect example and even 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 better one and he's one because we evaluated uh his senior tape to kind of figure out that we really really wanted him the first couple games but an even better example, if you're looking for the true life cycle of a prospect, would be um, both Zach Clark and Marquez Parker. So we evaluated them on their junior tape. Like when we got here in January and assembled the whole staff, and we kind of, for the first few weeks, were really in the, in the transfer portal. And we got our footing and were able to dig into the high school class starting in February of last year. And so we're going through the whole thing, trying to play catch up on all these guys. Um, And so we had watched Zach and Marquez's tape as juniors and we saw high potential, um, but we saw some development that still needed to occur for us to feel comfortable really, really going after them. And, you know, our process of evaluation is probably a little different than some other teams. Um, and it's kind of the reason why I'm there in the role that I'm in is it's that certain checks and balances and accountability within the coaches. So like what we do not want to happen is a coach and or one set of eyes in the building watching a player for like six clips and being like, yes, I want him. Let's go after him. Like we invest way too much in these guys. And, you know, the, the amount of nutrition and training table and athletic training and weights and equipment the amount of money that each 85 person scholarship on the team the amount of money we invest in them so much that we need to do our due diligence to make sure they are the right guy so that's my like reasoning on why we watch strictly game tape on the kids so um so uh, for those two in particular we watch their four hardest opponents our interns will make a poa tape a cut-up tape and for a guy like Marquez Parker, defensive lineman, every time the ball's run to his side, every time that he has the ability to pass rush in a one-on-one situation, anytime he's out in the open field with the chance to play with high effort or not, or the chance to run, and anytime the kid has to change direction, um, all those plays get tagged. Carter, Jack, and I will watch him. Um, and then for the coaches, we'll make our own cut up from there that highlights the good and bad and then puts like we want to start with their splash play some of their best to you know make sure we see what they can do at the beginning of the tape and then uh, so anyway long story short on those two there was 
development that needed to happen. Like Zach Clark was about 230 pounds maybe as a junior. And it wasn't just that he was 230. It's like, it's hard to say like with conviction after their junior year, it's like, yes, let's go after this kid. Like, but we know he's, we hadn't seen his frame yet. We needed to get him to see him in person. And then he was a little stiffer, actually a lot stiffer than he was as a senior. Um, because when you are light, especially in the lower body, and you haven't had the chance to really get in the weight room and lift, you're just going to have some more stiff that's, stiffness that needs to get worked out um, through just like squatting and deadlifting and all that sort of stuff. So like as he, his body matured and he grew into it, he got better and better. And we were able to get him to come to camp. And we saw him forget which camp in it was one of the early June camps and he was awesome. And he was like 260 pounds by then about six, five and a half had the, the arm length and the hand size that we were looking for, especially as it relates to his wingspan. There's a little calculation we do to make sure that the, you know, the shoulder width of the player is big enough to have a frame to put on the mass they need to. Uh, so all that checked out. Um, so we offered him after the camp and then um, set up a visit for early in the season. And, you know, we knew the progression he was taking as a player at that point. And then the, the first few games of the year really proved us right. Um, and his tape was really good. And so we went all in and, and got him. And the same thing with Marquez Parker. I mean, the jump he made from his junior year, to then seeing him in camp. I mean, that, that kid, I don't know how we got him out of SEC territory. Uh, I actually asked Brad Glenn, and he said, "By the grace of God." Is <laughs> yeah. not Brad Glenn, but but Brian Brown. He said, he "By Brown, the grace yeah. of God." He, he's got yeah. some got. of the most violent hands I've ever seen for a high school kid. He's a he's a special player. Um, he really is, and you know, credit to Coach Stewart and credit to Cass. Um, Cass spent some time in Memphis in his life growing up, so he has some connections there, and really hit it off with Marquez and. You know, those relationships really help keep these guys once once they become ours. Um, and it's it's a relationship to the point where, like, they're texting Cass first, like, in the day. And it's like, all right, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then, like, if any other team were to hit him up, he was telling Cass before, you know, anything else. And um, Coach Sat was constantly on the phone with them. I don't. I actually don't think people realize how much Coach Sat is on the phone with these guys. Like he's talked to our commits more than any coach that I've been a part of talking to their players. And um, you know, it's a testament to the investment he wants to put in for making the team right the way he wants it. So, um, but anyway, to, to back to your question, like those two are perfect examples of of guys that kind of lived the life cycle of a, of a prospect in our kind of evaluation system. And I, if we're being honest and beyond what we do, you know, from a macro level in college football, the, the sped up recruiting process where we pretty much have to make decisions on junior tape for most of the guys, because they're official visiting in June. I wish it wasn't like that because you know, you feel better as a, as a guy with an evaluation background, I want to be a hundred percent positive. And the more tape you can watch closer to the time they're coming here, the more positive you are. But um, fortunately for us, there was no player that I really saw in this class that I was like, Oh shoot, their senior tapes, not as good as their junior tape. Like it all kind of matched up. So 
Um, and I think that goes back to the diligence we did on watching that game tape. Um, and I'll go back to that all the time. Like it is so important to see how a player plays each and every snap. I mean, ev- every player in the country that signs division one should be able to make a good highlight tape, but the consistency of play, I think separates the players from each other, not only in their athletic gifts, like it's pretty easy to tell if a kid's like six, five and, you know, can run and jump and, and his physical, et cetera, et cetera. But game tape to me allows us to find out the mentality of the player. Like, does this guy have the right stuff about it? Like 99 times out of a hundred, if you see a guy that loafs on tape, he's going to come to you and just want to do a photo shoot and not care about the stuff that actually matters. So we can pretty much feel comfortable with we're getting the right type of kid like whether he's rough around the edges, whether he comes from nothing, comes from everything. If he's on the football field in high school playing his butt off all the time, then whatever else he's like in life, when he gets on the field, he's playing really hard. So um, that's step one for us in terms of making, making sure they love football is if they're playing hard all the time. And we try to vet, vet that as much as we can. Kind of staying on the – evaluation part of it you guys had quite a few and a, and a couple who were back-to-back state champs uh in this recruiting class you know obviously you'd love to have every kid who comes from a program that is playing at that type of level and has that kind of infrastructure but just how important is whether it's a program that is winning or just a player that is accustomed to that in that type of a characteristic and just finding those right kind of guys when you're trying, when you're coming in fresh, you know, trying to put your stamp, you know, rebuilding a roster, so to speak with what you guys are looking for. Is that something that you are actively pursuing or just, does it just kind of happen organically? It's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't think we actively go out and try to seek players on teams that only win, but the byproduct of us recruiting kids that really, really care about winning and are good football players is that they're going to make their team better. Um, And, you know, the good programs that win a lot of games usually produce the players. So whether it's chicken or an egg argument, like generally the players we're recruiting are, um, you know, in contention or winning state championships. But for me, it goes back to like the love of the game for these kids. Like we want guys that are the best players on their team. So like, that's another reason we dig into the game tape so much. It's like this, we're, when we're literally watching the full game, we know like, all right, well, this team relies on this player to win and without him, they wouldn't do it. Or is he just like a, member of the team and on the wagon so to speak um but i mean we're bit we become we're cheering for our guys throughout the season like to see you know jaquan sanks win the state championship and dakari anderson win and aiden pastoriza and you know that is awesome and it's a testament to the programs they come from and it's a testament to them as as, as kids you know like i watched dakari's game live um down there in the dome and so yeah pretty you know, good one he, yeah he was 
like every, the way the players on his team gravitated towards him was awesome to see. Like he didn't have to go out of his way to like fake leadership. It was just he was the guy on the team. And the first play of their the, the first Stockbridge took the ball 70 yards. They ran it right down Perry's throat to start the game. And the, the first offensive play for, for Perry, they he's matched up against a, a big time 2025 recruit. And he kind of breaks off the route. He falls down and Dakari takes it 70. And, you know, if he was healthy, he would have scored without, without getting caught there. But um, he ended up getting pushed out the one yard line. He had a little knee injury that he was nagging through the last half of the season, but like to see the toughness and him gritting through it and like limping off the field and coming back on and dang near every time he's on the field, they're feeding him the ball. It's just like Bill Polian once said at a, I was at like a little recruiting conference there and he spoke and like all the best teams he was a part of were comprised of some special people. And so like when we're going through the recruiting process, it's like, what is this person made of? And Dakari is one of those kids that like, he's a special kid, like every good team I've been a part of. And even like thinking about those Cincinnati teams a few years ago that were really, really good. Like I'm sure Desmond Ritter was a special person. Like sauce is a special person. He's obviously an incredible talent, but like getting to know him, that's a special dude. Um, so the, yeah, exactly. The, the makeup and the character of, <clears throat> of these guys is, is truly awesome. Um, and that's just one example. But, yeah, to answer your question, like, we try to recruit guys that are making sure their teams are winning, you know, and sometimes it always doesn't happen. And sometimes a level of competition is better or worse. We have to evaluate the tape as, like, if they're playing bad teams, are they completely dominating, you know? And if it's tremendous competition, are they still standing out above the rest that are going to other Power 5 or, or Group of 5 teams? So. I want to I want to dig back a little bit, and and I want to I want to give my perspective of how recruiting departments have developed, and see where that like fits in with where where you have entered into this world and and where it's at now. What 12, 12 years ago there wasn't recruiting departments, right? Like it, it wasn't a thing. It didn't the assistant coach like maybe there was a couple guys that were cutting up tape and like helping you out, but there wasn't detailed like and then i don't know what for at least here and i'm sure it happened elsewhere earlier because cincinnati financially was never playing from ahead in this department but like eight nine years ago it became a thing and there there really was like a guy that was was charged with it but it was still mostly the assistants and then there was maybe an infiltration of like recruiting mindset of we want guys in this department that are always texting always on the phone always the social part of it when i say the recruiting part the social part but as the portal has developed and as things have evolved even over the last five years it feels like to me like the scouting side of it is becoming far more the norm where the 12 15 years ago like there weren't scouts doing any of this work no uh, to my knowledge you're absolutely right so i started out uh in 2014 i was a, a junior at notre dame and i started out as a student there and worked there two years as a student and then i was an intern during the 2016 season um but 
Oh, you're a Mike Brock. Denbrock guy then. <laughs> yeah, I worked with Coach Denbrock. Yep. He was very one of my close favorite to my humans, my, one of my favorite humans on the planet. Yeah, he, he is a great guy. Great guy. And he he's a very good coach too. Hot rumor um, is he might be heading back. Really? That's interesting. Didn't they just make him the highest paid assistant in the country? They, they did, but apparently. <laughs> he loves Notre Dame. I know he loves Notre Dame. No doubt. Um, but anyway, so like I – I got into this kind of in the middle when it was expanding. So like, honestly, it's complete luck. Like if I was born 20 years ago, like I would never have had this profession, you know what I mean? So um, I hit it at the right time. But last year when I got to work with Mark Pantone up at Ohio State um, and I'm listening to him talk about his start and he was like a grad student at Florida. Um, I think he was going to be like a doctor or something. And he decided to go into (laughs) football and, it was like 2006 and it was just him. And there's a reason they call him the godfather of recruiting. Like when he started, his position didn't really exist. And Urban Meyer like created it. I don't know the title wasn't what it is now. And then they brought him to Ohio state. And um, so he's seen the whole thing evolve. And I yeah. think part of it. And one of the reasons, like the biggest reason obviously is, um, you know, with the portal and the arms race that recruiting has become, if there weren't people in or big recruiting staffs or people like me in this role, the coaches would just like be so completely overworked. Um, and like, there's an issue right now with like, you know, around college football, you hear it every off season due to the portal and NIL that, that coaches want to go to the NFL. Well, if there weren't recruiting staffs, they'd want to go even more. So I think it it helps the healthy relationship where like, especially if we're working at a high capacity and they have trust in us, they know like, hey, we're going to feed them players. They don't have to be independently going through lists and all that. Um, And then Nick Saban probably coming in to Alabama. He's who really, really built it all out and had the same system that he made there with all his tree going out to every sec program, they do it the same way. And it's a big recruiting staff. So then in the non sec, they're all looking at that and trying to mimic it. Right. So um, it's really, really, you know, kind of popped off, but you know, I, I'm certainly grateful for it. uh, But I do think the recruiting staffs can be really, really additive to the process where, we are able to uncover every single stone and like we're able to give a different perspective than the coaches where, you know, they can have certain bias from the areas they've been recruited their whole recruiting their whole lives or uh, a type of player they were in, in college or the pros that make them like that certain player more. It's like, at the very simplest level, we're recruiting off of a set of critical factors and specific skills that don't change based on who the coach is. So like if the player doesn't meet that, they better be like so exceptional in another area that we're going to recruit them anyway. But nine times out of 10, they have to fit that criteria or else, you know, there's 3000 plus kids that play high school football. We only have to find like 20 to 25 and, you know, we're never going to be desperate to take a player. I'll trust me. I'll find another one. So the, the portal changes that too, right? Because now we, we know where there's another one we can go get. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does to a degree. I mean, there are certainly a lot of different philosophies you can take in building your roster now, and it adds a more of a strategic element to the game, which I love. I, I think anytime there's change in college football and anytime, you know, things are uneasy and people are worried and anytime there's change, I think the, my mindset is always, all right, how can we adapt better than the other team to have a strategic advantage over them? So, you know, now looking at the strategy of how to build a roster, like the 85 scholarships you can have at a time isn't going to change. So, you know, you could go portal heavy, you could go high school heavy. For us, we want to build it out through the high school ranks over time. I just think it's a more, you know, stabilizing strategy built for long-term success. Um, and, and a lot of that is just due to, you know, when they're in high school, you get them for four years and you get to know them more from the recruiting process and know what they're about. And, you know, once you have them, it's easier to retain them than to go get a guy that you don't know yet in two weeks. Now, I love the portal, too. Like, it allows us to make our team better in a short amount of time, and it really cuts down the excuses to not be good. But um, <clears throat> we always want to build it out through the high school ranks. So, like, we're going to sign a 20 to 25-man recruiting class every year out of high school. Um, but to your point, there's more fishies in the sea now. So if, it, if a kid is right. going to tell us, no, it's not that big of a deal to me. I want to make sure the right ones come here. The ones that are here are the right ones. You know what I mean? So, like, it's it's not – I don't worry about a kid that will decommit or someone that's not on our roster – we just need the 85 best players and people we can have. And that's all that matters. And how we get there matters less than it being right to me. The point being though, if you're going through a cycle and like you need a safety, like you need a, you know, a, a high quality safety and you don't fit, you don't find that this is all the boxes being checked. You don't have to then drop down to the, you don't, you're not forced to, you might, but you're not forced to say, look, we have to now just go grab a guy. Because that yeah. guy that you go grab, you know, we used to see this in the portal, and, and or not in the portal, but signing day every year used to be at the Cincinnati level, the flips you were getting were guys that had fallen off another board or dropped down, and then they get here and you're like, oh, that guy wasn't worth a damn. And there's yeah. a reason we were able to get him on signing day. You had to reach. And now you don't have to reach. You can say, if we don't see what we like, we're good because there's more game to play. You're absolutely right. It, it It's, I mean, you couldn't have really said it any better. Like in, in the past when you're just going to high school <laughs> and you missed out on a guy or whatever, you you would just see what's available and you had to take what was available. Now, like, it's a luxury in that, like, we have the opportunity to be selective and, like, we have the opportunity to get the, the types of players we want and we never have to feel panicked or forced to take somebody. Um, now, obviously, you need players and if you're going to miss right. on them in the portal, you better take them. So, like, we want to we wanna stock up in high school and then use the portal to – add to the roster in certain ways that are going to make us as competitive as possible for the next season and beyond when we're taking multi-year transfers. So, 
So you guys, it's sticking with the high school kids. You guys added on offense a lot of size along the offensive line and the tight end and some playmaking ability. And then the defense, a lot of speed and versatility. As you went through this season, did those needs become even more clear as and kind of reassure, like reaffirming the guys that you were targeting? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, too. I mean, when you're a new staff, and I've I've been fortunate to be able to be at, this is the third new school I've been at, so I remember what the first year looks like in all these, and just the knowledge of your own roster evolves over the course of the season once you see them play and you really get to know the roster. Um, so I would say we did a good job of identifying the, like, needs of our roster going into the recruiting class and the season confirmed it. Like everybody knows that, you know, defensive backs, a big need and we signed six of them. Um, So we kind of anticipated that to like help, you know, load up on that in high school before the fact. But then as I sat there and evaluated the season, like I have the fortunate ability to not have to coach. So I can just watch the other team watch what we're going against. And I look at it in a different viewpoint. So the biggest thing to me, and I think we addressed it to a certain degree and we have to continue to address it even more and more in the future, starting with this 25 class is the length of the teams in the big 12. Um, I'm just looking at like Baylor walk out there. Iowa state was a team and they, that was very long and good looking. And so we need to get longer faster and bigger and you know the and that will be the emphasis moving forward and it was in this class at certain positions and it'll continue to be and I, I definitely think we got more athletic we got a little bit longer and we'll continue to do so moving forward but um that was the biggest thing I saw you know you always have to compete against the conference you're playing in and um you know I, I did think that some teams we played had a little bit of an advantage there in size I won't ask you about every guy, but let's – can you give us just some nuggets? No, he wants every guy. Every guy, every guy. Come on, no, who are your favorites? Shoot, we'll be go. we'll be here, you know, way, way too long for that case. But because <laughs> uh, I have – you don't know this, but for a very, very long time I had a very hard and fast rule that I would not do over a two-hour podcast. Uh-oh. So, uh, and and we had a good good long time running joke about that, and we would end them. We ended one at like one fifty nine fifty eight one time. Um, <laughs> but just some just some nuggets, some of you you know some stories or some nuggets about some of the guys in the twenty twenty four high school class that that fans need to know about or that you found interesting as you guys were recruiting them as as you you know, became more familiar with them their stories you know, them as players, just anything along those lines that kind of uh, jumped to your mind? Yeah. Um, let me think here. I'll start with uh, Jake Wheelock, our first commit. Um, just the story of how he got on our board and, and kind of became a priority early. Uh, he was at, when I was at Ohio State in the summer of 22, he came to camp there. And I remember the shirt he was wearing, gray shirt with the or black shirt with the U for or Stebbins on there. And um, he was really, really, really good at camp. And what struck me was like he played with a 
physical presence and a tenacity and they're not wearing helmets and stuff. And it's just like you, we had a big emphasis on toughness at Ohio state. We, they're, they're trying to beat Michigan. So they're trying to get tough. Right. And Jake Wheelock to me was like the toughest O-lineman I saw all camp. So like he was on our board at Ohio state, the one that I was creating very, very, very high. And so, you know, we never pulled the, the trigger. The coaches really never wanted to pull the trigger on him. So when I got to uh, to Cincinnati, I was like, hey, listen, Jake Wheelock, Stebbins High School, offer him right now. So we had a junior day um, in late January where, you know, it was a little bit of a scramble. You're really not there long enough to, like, build relationships with these guys other than the ones that you've had from the past schools we're at. And uh, so Jake comes, and I remember he – we're, we're heightened weighting everybody doing the whole deal, arm length, hand size, wingspan, et cetera. And Jake steps on up and I'm just like, you don't have to do this. Like we know all that from you. And like, <laughs> there was a big snowstorm. So like his dad, like they drove through the snow to get here. And, um, and the, like the first thing we told him when he got here was that he had an offer. And, um, I believe it was his first power five offer. And, um, a few months later he ended up being our first commitment, but, you know, Jake really embodies the the toughness that we want to build the program on. And, you know, being an Ohio kid is huge. Um, and it's just like the core of our team, the foundation of it, uh, we want to be guys like him that, you know, they're going to battle their ass off. At, am I allowed to say that? You, you certainly they're gonna, are. They're going <laughs> to battle every day. Um, you know, he wants to be the best version of himself. And there, there's been no – there's no one more committed – um, to getting the most out of himself than Jake. So um, that's a good one from him. Uh, Coach Stat shared the story at the at the deal last night about Zahersky and Steps' in-home visit with him. But, <clears throat> you know, how Zahersky came onto our radar was we're sending the coaches out on the road, and we were trying to – we sent Coach Sat to a bunch of high schools early on in January and just to, to get his lay of the land and, and all that and – try to see the guys we had already identified and he actually ended up seeing uh, gavin grover jake wheelock quentin price uh jacorian caffies or like all these guys we signed from ohio he ended up seeing but so he he was going through berea mid park and we didn't know about zahersky at the time he's like hey there's just a big high basketball player he like averages a double double blah blah so we watched him we really liked his tape um and a, as the fans are going to find out zahersky is and it's a term of endearment, but he's a meathead and like he eats weights and like, uh, I think he lives in the weight room and so we're going to have to get him here and stretch him out a little bit to, you know, you can't just be lifting all the time, but, um, literally in his in-home visit, uh, after the season and coach step and the family are comfortable with each other. He's been committed forever now. And, um, the, the dad and Devin left, the in-home visit to go work out like like coach steps in the the, the room and they're like yeah, yeah we, uh, we gotta go we gotta go get one in we gotta go in. it's like 9 30 p.m so i mean i thought that was a cool story it just kind of embodies who he is like that dude is a extremely physical player he's gonna be like a battering ram he also has really good hands and was a he's an athlete on the basketball court yeah the yeah the 2020 game this week yeah yeah i think it's second of his career or something like that but yeah he's a another great kid though um, so 
you, you want to know the last person from this area I dubbed a meathead? Who's that? Our strength Michael coach, Nico Palazzetti? What? No. Michael <laughs> Mayer. That, that'll work. Yeah, that'll work. It, I, I'm not saying he's Michael Mayer, but like that, that was what Michael yeah. Mayer was as a high school player was like, you can't get him out of the weight room. You can't get him off the football field. Like, go, 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 go. Um, I remember I one time I even joked with uh, somebody in the recruiting department that maybe go offer his brother, A.J. Mayer, and get A.J. Mayer to come here. So just maybe you could get Michael two years later. Like, you knew even when he was a freshman, like, oh, my God. Yeah. nuts. Yeah. So I, you talk about a kid with the right mentality, and he's like a 4-0 student, um, just has the right demeanor. And he's coming in early, and uh, you know I expect him to be a guy that competes to to find a role uh, on the offense early on. Um, you know, obviously, as you guys know, we run multiple tight end sets and do a lot in the run game, and he's going to help with that uh, significantly. Um, let me think of another one. Uh, Simeon Coleman, the linebacker from St. Francis, is another. There's not any really unique story, but it's just funny to see his like body progression throughout the years. We have this service we subscribe to called UC Report, where we get all the camp video these guys go to whenever they go to like an Under Armour ESPN camp, and uh, we we got one. So we're, we're watching him, and he had like 12 tackles against IMG Academy as a junior, just dominated the game, and he is as violent of a linebacker as I've seen in a long time, and so we were looking him up on UC report and I mean, he looked like a division two and I told him this, he looked like a D two, like three technique as like a, like a freshman in high school. Like there's an old picture of him. So we're joking with him and, but he has changed his body so much throughout high school um, to make him himself, you know, more tightened up and lean. And, um, but when we, when he got here, like we're watching him on tape, just like knocking people's heads off. Like, honestly like college ejection type hits so he'll have to clean that up but um no, he gets I, here keep it up he's he's like <laughs> the this the nicest like best smile you'll ever see i was just like oh that's not what i expected based on your tape man um but the list goes on i mean there's so many here i'll get i'll get i'll throw a couple out we'll go yeah kind of came on to the the off the fan radar late Len, lendrick barber yeah yeah so lendrick is a guy i instructed carter early in the season it's to to find big men so like if we're gonna another defensive tackle wasn't necessarily a need for us but I think in college football, it's especially when you're trying to hit the portal and get big men, it's very, very, very hard. So our strategy in high school is to always take one if we can find one we really like. So like I was like, all right, it's not a need, but like go out and find the best one you can. So we identified four or five guys and <clears throat> we got a few of them up to campus in the fall for games. And Lendrick walked in and he was, you know, shade over 6'3", 305 pounds really long arms, just very big. Um, he's a quiet kid, but has a good, you know, quiet confidence and a presence about him. Um, I mean, he cooks for his family. He's like 17 years old. He's like the chef of the house and um, 
very, very yeah, mature. Chad, we got to get him on the pod then. <laughs> yeah. We I'll talk, talk a lot of food. I love it. Um, <laughs> so he was one of those guys where, like, I was lamenting about the recruiting process being sped up. It's one where, like, we were able to slow it down a bit and watch his senior tape. And, you know, for a guy that is legitimately 6'3", 300 pounds, of which I don't think we have a defensive lineman on the team last year, you think that was legitimately like NFL measurement, 6'3", 300 pounds. Uh, it's hard to get those body types. And he moved really, really, really well. And the people we talked to down in Georgia raved about him. Um, and I felt like we were able to check all the boxes with him. And, um, you know, I, I think you sometimes in recruiting, when you're not recruiting a guy for that long, you have to pace it the right way where like, if you're, you know, if you're playing poker, you got to be tight, but aggressive. So like we weren't recruiting him really hard, but the moment we really liked him, we we're aggressive and we got, him. so um, there's a late push by Georgia tech. They offered him kind of late in the season, but you know, fortunately Carter did a really good job of identifying him early in the season, evaluating him through, the first three or four games, getting him in front of the defensive staff, building a good relationship. Um, and it's another one where cast might as well adopt him because they're like <laughs> best friends. So um, yeah, we're fired up about him. I just, I can't, I can't emphasize enough. Like it is difficult to get big bodies that are like really athletic movers. And, you know, you, <clears throat> if you're paying attention to the, big time schools and recruiting right now, Georgia just tried to stockpile every big person in America on their offensive line. So like you hoard the big men and we're going to always try to get big athletic players in here and build up the lines of scrimmage. Let's go. Uh, Willie Goodwin. Yeah. Willie. Uh, I'm going to so drink. Dave, dang. He could take all the time he needs. <laughs> um, so Willie is from Rabin County, Georgia. And the guys on our staff, of which there are many that were at App State, recruited that area a lot. And it's known for producing a lot of tough, tough players. So that was the first thing, like when we were watching him, we didn't know much about him. It's like, that probably checks out. So, you know, the thing that jumps off the screen with Willie is he's extremely explosive and fast. And he's a kid that didn't really run track much in high school. So like, you're not just going to find it on track times, but he cruises on the football field. Um, and he's the right type of raw that we're looking for. You know, you can, you can say raw about a lot of guys where like, if they're physically raw, that's not a good thing. Like as in, from a physical standpoint, he has all the traits and critical factors we look for from that position. So like we're, we want guys that have reactive athleticism, speed, ball skills, um, and hip fluidity. So he has all those now he's raw in the sense like we're gonna have to teach him the position and how to play corner but uh he showed the ability to be physical and tackle he's playing offense and defense um you know he i felt like he was really really under recruited we were his first power five offer georgia tech came in a little later um and another georgia guy we were able to fend off them for um and it kind of goes back to our staff doing a great job with him um <clears throat> And he has a great, you know, support system around him. And, um, you know, another bright-eyed kid on the visit, great smile. Um, I think the, the fans are really going to like him. It, it really adds to the speed um, of the team with him. 
I'm going to flip it over to kind of some transfer portal type stuff. So after the first full year in the Big 12, was there any overall theme or direction that you guys used to attack the portal? Or is it best players that need positions? Is it, is it really that simple? Yeah, well, throughout the season, as we're we're going through it, we're all we were just kind of feeling out what our needs really were. Like the, to me, the most important thing in the transfer portal to have success is all, however number there is on staff, a lot, but everyone in the building is on the same page about what the needs are and what we're gonna attack quickly. Cause like, you don't really have time to wait when a guy goes in the portal, you have to know right away. So if like, if we're just kind of theoretically going after like good players, it's like, well, do we need that position? Do we have room for that? It's like, those questions all have to be answered up front. So like, uh, based on the, the attrition we had before the portal opened, we knew exactly the needs we had in the team. So like, and then the Testament to Jack, he's had every single, FCS and group of five player evaluated before it started. So it's like, all right, the Micah Coleman, he's in the portal. We now go after him. Like we've already watched him with the staff. We already all know we like him. So we can attack him from day one. Same with a guy like George Gums and Ormani Arnold, like essentially everybody that we've gotten from the portal, um, whether we had an idea that they may go in or not, we certainly knew exactly what they could do and how good they were prior so that when they went in it was immediate and aggressive because like i said there's really no time to wait these guys are getting recruited for like a week and it's a broken process in that sense but like i said whenever something changes we got to try to be the most strategic team to build an advantage so and the portal's still ongoing you know we have another week in early january where we can have more visits and we're going to continue to to dig up more guys and and uh you know, circle the wagons and, and get more of these guys. Here's so, what the people oh, will want to know, Zach, real quick. What what positions will you be looking for in that January 3rd to 7 window? <laughs> uh, yeah, I won't give up too many of our trade secrets, but uh, we will definitely <laughs> be, be going after some more DBs. Um, you know, I we have intelligent fans, which is really cool. Like, our fans know what's going on. So, like, you can just look at the number of DBs on our roster and know that we're going to go after some because there needs to be more on the team. So um, we'll definitely attack that a little bit. And um, aside from that, I mean, we'll be all, I feel like all the rest of the position on the team from this point moving forward, if we add a guy, it'll just be like additive because we can't turn that guy down for whatever reason. Like if we want to add more speed on offense and we find a guy, We'll go after him, but for right now, the, the, the big emphasis will be on, on the DB position. Going quick on quarterback Brendan Soresby, how important was that being as, you know, there everybody's, you know, jumps in the portal, whatever it was, a thousand kids right at that beginning, but there's really, you know, you're really only looking at one, you know, teams are only looking at one quarterback and those guys make their decisions pretty quickly. How important was that evaluation to be locked down right away? And just kind of how did that relationship and 
you know, watching those kind of final six, seven games of Indiana season, sell you guys on that this was the type of quarterback we want this program to have moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it's the most important position in all sports. Um, so for that reason, every single year for the past couple of few years, um, well, not at Ohio State because I wasn't, I was more on the high school side, but at Western Kentucky and then uh, now here, I will evaluate every single quarterback in the country in FBS and FCS that plays more than like 50 to 100 snaps in a season, depending on how old they are. So um, by late October, early November, certainly mid-November, I had watched everybody and I love Brendan Sorsby. Like I thought he had the right makeup, you know, he was playing on a team that didn't have a whole lot of success, but when he came into the game, he elevated the team in ways that, you know, didn't happen before he started playing. And I think toughness in a quarterback is a very underrated quality. Um, he shows physical toughness on tape, but he also showed a lot of mental toughness. And then from once he went in the portal, everybody we talked to about him just preached on his toughness and, you know, his self-assuredness to where like the quarterback's the leader of the team. He's the leader of the locker room. Like having a guy that people can look to and have confidence in is immensely important. And, but I feel comfortable with the process we went through to identify him. Uh, it was the same one we went through to identify, you know, Bailey Zappi and Austin Reed at Ohio State, at Western Kentucky. And, you know, when I know every single quarterback in the country and I've dug into their tape, I have a good feeling now that we're getting the right one. And, you know, I think he can make all the throws. Um, he has quick eyes and quick feet. You know, he, he'll clean up his feet a little bit. He trusts his arms so much because he has a good arm. Um, but his eyes are fast. He's a quick decision maker. If someone's open, he was generally hitting them accurately and in the right timing. Um, and the, the, the physical toughness to be able to kind of run through some tackles in critical situations and get first downs when it really mattered. And on third down, he can lower his shoulder. Um <clears throat> I saw no cowardly behavior on tape from him. and um, I'm really excited about him. So all but one, the long snapper, are multi-year guys. Was that by design? And does, how much does that help with kind of roster management and future roster building when you're not really swapping out in the portal one-for-ones? Yeah, yeah. Uh... It makes me sleep easier a little bit at night knowing that we're not going to have to do it like this every single year. But um, that was an emphasis um, from Coach Sat, you know, throughout the season when we were talking about strategy and uh, who we're going to target and all that. Um, ultimately, we want to be a developmental program that is built from the inside out, not the outside in when we're constantly getting transfers all the time. We want to be built from the inside out through the high school ranks. And then if we're going to take a transfer, if a guy has one year left and a guy has three years left and they're equal to us, we're going to get the guy with three years left. <clears throat> it just makes sense. Um, 
now it doesn't mean we're going to turn down a one-year guy and like certainly moving forward as we take more transfers there will be some one-year guys that we take um but we definitely feel like you know a one-year rental is tough for multiple reasons like we want these guys to be ingrained in our culture at cincinnati and if they're here for one year it's kind of hard to do that sometimes and then beyond that you know to pick up the system and to find your role on the team and to become trustworthy and accountable to the coaches and just just to have that knowledge of who everyone is and that trust factor it does take some time so some transfers in their second year that i've seen just looking at this last few years as this has happened in their second year sometimes get a lot better so hopefully we can lean into that with the guys we got and um you know i think it's really encouraging that these guys have multiple years and um like i can't wait to see how like george gums develops from it's a guy that just played the end last year for the first time and now this next year will be his second year playing the position so if he had one year it's like all right well you better get him up get him right right now better not miss now it's like all right well he has two years and it also helps the mentality of of a player like every player is expected to come in here and compete you know no one's handed anything so if you get a one-year guy and they're not the starter playing 700 snaps <clears throat> that their attitude might change a little bit but you know we're gonna have a great rotation on the d-line between you know all these guys gums eric phillips uh micah coleman Kyrie moiston um rob jackson you know the list goes on and it, it allows you to just build the depth and you know they become a collective unit with fresh legs and it's it's just really good okay so i wanted to ask this one because it's, it's kind of been funny to me as someone that runs the twitter account for our group is the Moneyball reference on Twitter just a joke, or are you guys actually taking a truly Moneyball philosophy to the transfer portal? And how does that work for football? Um, yeah, it's mostly a joke. Jack <laughs> and I love the movie. Um, part of it's real in the sense that, you know, we're not like Alabama and Georgia. So, like, if there's a, uh, the best player in the country we may not be able to get him so like we're gonna find the ones that we like more than the other teams in the transfer portal so that's kind of the money ball aspect of it where like uh what peter brand or whoever it was in real life but the guy in the, the character in the movie and like i joked to, to jack all the time like he's like chubby jonah hill <laughs> and i'm matt damon um, which obviously isn't true, but uh, yeah, it's more of a joke. Yeah, you're, but, you're like you're I just Billy, wanted to you're, throw you're it out the there. You're the GM. You're Billy Bean. What's that? You're the GM. You're Billy Bean. I know. That's why. Like, it's funny, but yeah, it's uh, it's probably my favorite movie as it relates to like front office stuff. So like, when we're 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 in this portal period, and I try not to be on Twitter all the time. It's kind of consuming. But I might as well just like have some fun with it when I'm exhausted the whole last three weeks. So you mentioned earlier about Coach Set, you know, really, you know, he mentioned it last night, you know, Mondays, he's calling 
25, 35 guys. Take us into how he is as a recruiter because I know that there's head coaches that truly do love recruiting, and then there's head coaches that are kind of viewed as the closer, so to speak. Like they come in for the final in home, they they tell mom and dad how you know great everything's gonna be, and but the assistants or the support staff do the bulk of the recruiting. How is he, you know, as a recruiter and kind of take us into his role as the head coach when it comes to recruiting? Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. Um, you know, to begin with, we, we expect the, the position coaches to be the lead recruiters on every kid. But then I empower Cass. So it's like, you should be the lead recruiter on every kid. So he's trying to recruit them to that level. And then, you know, <clears throat> as it relates to Coach Sat, when we're trying to, to build the team with the character kids he wants, the, the way he put it to me is like, it's going to be hard for him to truly sign off on the character of a kid. If he never really talks to him, like, how is that even possible? Um, so then at that point, if he's not, you're just like getting the 10 different opinions of 10 different position coaches. That's all different. Well, it's his program. So he's going to make sure that these guys are, have the right makeup through their conversations. And then, you know, it's a competitive advantage if other teams, you know, some coaches are better, some coaches are worse at getting on the phone with kids. If we're going to go against one where they don't talk to the head coach, if our head coach is talking to them all the time, it certainly helps uh, against those guys. And, you know, I don't know if Coach Sat by nature is like on a Monday in season when he's trying to game plan, like telling Cass to come up and like get, give him the phone, but he knows it's part of the job. And Cass is like, the best part about him is like he's gonna milk every single second out of that. Like it's supposed to be an hour on Mondays, it turns into like two. Um, but you know, coaches, he's eager to do it. I think he likes talking to the guys, and it's a good way where it's like, hey, did you like that kid on the phone or not? Like it, it helps us gauge how much to really invest in these guys in the recruiting process. Cause you know, just in terms of certain manpower, you can only recruit so many players so hard it's like impossible to do uh at that much you know so um if we can whittle it down based on who he likes that's better and um in terms of his recruiting style you know i think he becomes like kind of a father figure to these recruits and he has a very very calming presence um you know we're not going to put pressure on these guys we want to build the most real relationship that we possibly can. And coach does a great job of that. Like the one thing that recruits always comment on is they can go into his office and talk about anything. Like it, it's not just football. It's not just, you know, the weather, like he, he's not like a robot in there. It, it, the conversation can turn anyway and they can see and tell from talking to him that he's incredibly genuine, you know, family oriented person. And, um, the great thing about that is like the whole staff speaks the same language and that we're a relationship first staff. And like, you know, it's a, just a big family. Everybody is not to say we're just nice. Like these guys are getting coached hard, but it's not an abrasive culture. Um, and then that matches up with the types of players that we're trying to get. We're trying to get really high character kids that are tough and love football. So like, you know, when we get the head coach who embodies that culture, then 
to talk to these guys as much as possible. It only helps getting them as long as we're going after the right kids. So the, the recruiting message, the way we talk to them has to match the types of players we're recruiting. And I feel like we do a good job of doing that. All right. I, I think we, we probably need to let you go. We, yeah. we, you know, Stipe told you a half hour. Uh, I'll at, talk uh, forever. I thought we were trying to go over the two hour deal. No, you I mean, if you're of... down, we will do it. If you like, have whatever. more questions, I'm happy to answer them. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I have some more, but I mean, we've already given this, you know, over an hour of your time. So, I, are you, you guys wants, are, you guys are losing viewers, and you're trying to get me off? I no, actually, no. Your your numbers are great. We're, we're trying yeah, to be nice. Keep but going. I'm good. Go, I'm good. Yeah, we yeah. Ball. I'm we'll going to brag to Stipe so hard that he thought this was going to be a half an hour. It's unbelievable. <laughs> He's so, going to get it. Recruiting rankings, I'm sure you guys at least are have an idea of them, but probably don't go off of them at all. But fans use them because it's a very easy data point to look at your team versus other teams. What like how do you look at it in the sense of like, okay, we're here, we need to get here? Like I look at it as we, you know, you see historically has gotten one to two, maybe three, four stars. How do we go from that to five plus? How do we go from five top 500 kids to 10 plus? Like where do, how does that work from the recruiting standpoint where it's clearly different than what we kind of see on the outside? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, first of all, I'll say I appreciate the rankings because if it wasn't for the industry of that, there probably wouldn't be these big recruiting staffs because, you know, for better or worse, a lot of head coaches care about the rankings and they're going to build up their staffs to make sure they get good recruiting classes, et cetera, et cetera. So I appreciate the industry. <clears throat> but I despise. Well, I don't respect it. I despise <laughs> the notion of the whole like three star, four star, whatever. Now on a macro level, like the blue chip ratio, I think is a real thing. Shout out to Bud Elliott. But Bud Elliott, um, yeah. to answer your question, like how do we get from where we are to ending up signing more of them? And I think it goes back to what our process is like the players that we are going after now in the 25 class the vast majority of them are not ranked yet. Like the recruiting services haven't watched them yet. So if we're going after the right ones, I would hope they start to get ranked after the fact. Now I don't want them to like when Danny James made, became a four star. I like, I forget which I went, I like went after some. You were not like, happy with me. Yeah. Like Aiden Pastoriza, I had an on three guy hit me up about him and he was like, I love this guy. I was like, do not touch his ranking. He was like, well, he's, he was our highest rated group of five players. I was like, I, I didn't know that. Don't touch it. I do not want him to be higher. That's no offense to the player. Like now rank them all. I don't care. But like, it only adds to the, the other teams going after him harder. It adds to like the worst player there is in football. The worst player in football is the player that is, overhyped early in his career made a four or five star that doesn't get any better. Like I give a talk to all of our recruits that come in on game days and I lay out exactly what our recruiting process is, the game tape we watch, how we do it, what we look for, what can get you on our board, what can make you the best player, what makes you more attractive to teams, whatever. 
And I'm like, guys, do not rest on your laurels. If you get a scholarship offer from XYZ, or if you get many, that doesn't matter. What matters is becoming the best football player you can be. Because if you have NFL aspirations and you're just happy getting like a random offer in, in college, then and you're going to rest on that, you're not going to become the best version of yourself day in and day out where you're playing in college against players that are all really good. And if you make it to the next level, they're all really, really, really good. And they're just like you. So, but to answer your question and what, and I get the fans are going to look at the recruiting rankings and that's their barometer to tell how good we are at recruiting. Right. I would hope we identify the best players early enough and build the best relationships with them to where they, when they are ranked, we're still getting them, but we've been on them before they were. Like, that's my ideal vision on how it works. Now, when you're ranking a player before their junior season, I think for the most part, it's just a complete wash. Like, it, the, the, to me, like, when we watch this game tape, it starts with the junior year. Like, the guy's 15 years old or 16, maybe as a sophomore. Like, there's development to do in his body. So, um, for us, we are like, each week to get into the specifics of it we have a list of roughly 500 players each week and on that list i was talking about that takes all these offers and the suggestions and all that they get on to this list that we watch during the season so like week one we'll have like 500 guys and week two 500 week three 500 and some of them are the same guys each week some of them are different because the list is bigger than 500 but anyway we're watching them throughout the season <clears throat> They might make a highlight tape, which we never watch, week eight. A vast majority of teams are probably just watching that guy like, oh, no, God, he has some film out. It's like, well, we've already watched the whole thing. So, like, where we have an advantage is, like, we will know our evaluation on that player far in advance. And, you know, I do not think the recruiting services are watching game tape. Um, you know, I would love all of our players to become four stars after we sign them. Like before we sign them, I don't care. Like I hope they don't exist. The best players that I ever recruited in my career didn't even have profiles like on 247. So like that was at Western Kentucky and that was a little while ago. They probably have profiles now, but like, you know, I just, the, if, if a player has the right critical factors, the height, weight, speed, everything we look for and they check all our boxes, I hope they're ranked as low as possible so that nobody else recruits them. Yeah. I've, I've always like, not that it's an easy thing to do, but I've always felt like, you know, you can watch a five star and, and kind of be like, Oh yeah, that, that guy looks different. But I've always just kind of, six I've always five, 235 yeah. pound guy. Yeah. Eating, eating the quarterback every three snaps looks good. I've I always like just joked of like, how are you telling the difference between Three star eighty three rating and three star eighty six rating, like you know. You know, to be honest just... with you, a lot of that goes back to like if if we're recruiting a guy and he's a whatever like eighty three versus eighty six. If it's an eighty three, and if I cared about the rankings, I would just harass Chad and Wilt Fong and like all all the other dudes and try to get them rated high, like. That's what that was that is thing. You've absolutely been against my religion. You've been will, it. I, three Zach Stipe texted me. 
I got to pull this up. Stipe texted me earlier. <laughs> and he said, uh, hold on. They talk a lot. Be careful. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'll be, I, I mean, for Stipe, to, he knows me. For him to text me this, he should know it's going to go out on everything. He said. Probably also watching. No, he's, <laughs> I hope got, so. I, I think we're going to outlast him, actually. He's got um, little ones. He's, you know, he's doing the day. He said, we are number four recruiting class in new 16D and Big 12, according to ESPN. Seems like a great selling point. Your thoughts? I said, talking about it goes against my religion. <laughs> Well, you, you've been at three, what I would call major college football programs, but three that are kind of all in different places in the sport. Is the commit bump a real thing? Like this guy was this, but then Ohio State offered him, and now all of a sudden he's this. Yeah, it's ultimately like two, four, seven, and on three. They're all trying to make money. You know, so like the more exposure that they can get the players that are going to the schools that have the biggest subscriber base. You mean like the 10,000 people that are subscribers to the Ohio State site? Yeah. So like that's going to get the like that's going to move the needle more. So it just makes sense from a business perspective. But like, you know, I definitely saw that like when we signed Calvin Simpson Hunt last year, like before we were going after him, he he was a corner that was like I don't even know what he was, but by the time it was over, all of a sudden he was like top 100 or something. It's like he played a lot of good games, it, you know, and you know before signing day. After yeah, um, so there's something real about that. I will say though, like when I think when I listen to the national guys on 247, they always talk about like what percentage of <clears throat> our five stars turned out to be drafted and all that stuff. Like, so they do a really good job out of high school making sure that happens. And I want to get to the point at Cincinnati where we are competing at that level for recruits. And it will take a lot, but it will take time to get there. We have to get to the level where we're signing more four stars and then we can get to that. It doesn't just happen overnight. So, like, from a macro perspective, the teams that have the more blue chip players are usually better. Yes. But where we're competing right now, I, do not know if there's a correlation or not. I've never researched it. Um, but to me, like my favorite recruits in the class, like aren't necessarily the highest rated ones. Well, the history of UC in the, la in the recruiting rankings era is that the highest rated recruits have almost always busted out. And the lowest rated recruits have in each class have almost always become the best players. Dante Corleone was the lowest rated recruit in his class. Desmond Ritter, you know, everybody's talked about two offers. Kobe UC, Bryant, UC, Eastern uh, Kentucky, Kobe Bryant. Like, it's just been weird that Air UC Forest. has almost always had that type of a thing where the lowest rated guys have turned out to be the best college and, you know, NFL type players. Yeah. And there's something to be said about, like, what UC football has always been. It's like, really really tough dudes with chips on their shoulder you know that become really good football players and the reason that we've got like three of the best players at their position in the nfl in the the kelsey brothers and sauce is probably because those guys didn't have a ton of accolades coming out of high school so the chip was on their shoulder and it just continued and they're proving themselves and once they get to the nfl they're proving themselves every single day because that's the only way you're good in the NFL. You can't rest in your laurels there. Like there's freak athletes everywhere. So, 
and sauce is like a freak of all freaks but like i guarantee he's having a lot of success because he has that chip on his shoulder and it started by being ranked way lower than he should have or now his situation was different from what i hear he was a really late bloomer right um <clears throat> so yeah uh i love and hate the ratings i mean I, we're not going to use that in our process like <clears throat> as i was discussing how we get guys on the board and how we evaluate them and all that 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 is independent of the the star ratings but i would hope over time you know cincinnati becomes the brand that's gonna move the needle with these star ratings now we got to continue to you know win more games and get better and make that happen in the big 12 so it starts with getting players that aren't ranked high and making sure they're good. No star walk on linebacker Jason Kelsey. Two star quarterback, two star quarterback Travis Kelsey, and middle to almost low three star cornerback Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Yeah, I mean, proof's in the pudding there. The best player I've probably ever recruited was uh, D'Angelo Malone. Right when I first got to Western Kentucky, he had like a Presbyterian college offer, and we offered him. Turned out to be a third round pick. To my knowledge, he didn't have a profile, but maybe he did. Did did uh, did Malachi come with all the guys from Malachi was from uh, Campbellsville or... High School in Kentucky. We got him out of high school. So in Coach Allen's first year, twenty nineteen, was the year we were recruiting him and. Um, we actually recruited him as a running back <clears throat> that could play receiver, and we moved him during that first season. Um, yeah, now he's like a top 50 NFL draft pick type guy. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. He's a great player, great kid. You know, so that's my background, though. Like, certainly at Western Kentucky, you're not paying attention to any star ratings. Like, um, so I kind of grew up in football without – like I, I was joking to the Ohio State people when I first got there. They're like talking about all these guys and these guys and this highly rated kid. I was like, hey, I don't know who any of these are. Like I didn't bother looking at the top or whatever. Like so, y'all got to educate me. Um, <laughs> I was trying to find the guys that were getting recruited by like Bethune Cookman and making sure they were good enough for Western Kentucky. So like, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's my deal. During during the season, you guys really only had one decommit how how does that process go when you know you're everybody everybody sees what's going on in the field it's you know you're having a rough season but you were able to pretty much i mean hold a, a class together what kind of goes into that and then how much are you dealing with negative recruiting how much are you dealing with maybe it's not even negative but it's just other teams looking at your guys being like yeah now we're finally evaluating the senior film and you mentioned Georgia Tech being interested in a couple of guys. Like, was that a major thing you had to fight against this year? Um, a little bit. You know, I I preached to my staff that regardless of wins and losses, there's no excuse to lose a player. So, like, to me, like, I don't I don't know. I there's obviously a correlation between recruiting and winning and losing, but it's like you don't have to win to recruit well. What we can control in the recruiting staff, because we're not coaching or whatever, like starting in August, it's like, this is off our, it's out of our control. So whatever's going to happen in the season is going to happen. We have to make sure we have the best relationships possible with, with the recruits and the commits 
to make sure if you know things aren't going how we want we're keeping the class together now how we keep it together when things aren't going bad it's like our messaging from the start was never about hey come here and come to a school that's going to win games always no matter what it was like come here because we see your fit in the big 12 getting us to where we want to be in the big 12 you are the reason we are going to be successful in the future. That's why we're recruiting you. We can recruit anybody we want. We chose you to come make us good in the Big 12. So when we're selling that to someone in June and we haven't played a game yet, the message is the same in November when we're struggling on the field. So they see that consistency and our unwavering like commitment to that <clears throat> and like credit to our coaching staff too like it's hard to have a players on campus lose a game and then have to go talk to them and recruit after the game. And they did a tremendous job and no one batted an eye. So we wanted to make sure our relationships with the players were so good that if any other team came in or we heard of anything, we weren't getting a call that said, Hey coach, uh, I just took a visit to this school. I want to decommit. It's like we get wind of it on the front end and we can figure out a plan and strategy to, to get rid of that issue. Um, so that's the way you prevent decommitments. There's always going to be some guys to decommit. And, you know, the players that are asking those questions, like, why are you guys doing that on the field? Why is this? It's like, I don't want that dude anyway, because we want a dude that's going to come in here and be like, I'm going to be the reason they're going to be better. You know, so you can sell it either way. And it's all about having a conviction and belief to our success moving forward, which I believe every single person in the building knows that we're going to be good in the future. And that conviction helps sell it to the recruits. But our messaging stayed the same. And I think that's why um, <clears throat> we're able to hang on to everybody. I also think the mental makeup and the character, personal and football character, everything of our guys, it's a testament to them to stick through it. Um, it's really a testament to them to stick stick through it with us and stay committed, believe in themselves enough that they're going to be part of the reason to come in here and, and make us better. So, I, I want to get oh, real quick, Dave. I want to get to take us to the moment you get the call from Cincinnati to come down and be the GM. Like, a, yeah, give us the personal side of like that that opportunity presenting itself. Yeah, it's that's a great question. Um, you know, I was at Western Kentucky for five years. Um, I met my wife there. Uh, like, I loved that place. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to go to Ohio State uh, March of 2022. Um, and Coach Helton handled it great. He, he was like, hey, I could be the head coach of Western Kentucky forever. You can't be the GM at Western Kentucky forever. So, like, you got to go do your thing. Um so I did not intend to be at Ohio State for one year. Like, I, I want to be at a school long enough to see it through with the people that I'm recruiting. And that was what was special at Western Kentucky for me. After five years, finally the team was all guys that I had recruited, and I saw what that resulted in. And I, it actually made me feel like I had something to do with it, right? Um. So I wasn't intending to leave Ohio State, but I had always like thought really highly of Cincinnati and like 
I felt like it wasn't a job where you just had to chase the highest recruiting ranking and people didn't necessarily care about that. They cared about getting the best football players. And it was that sweet spot where like you were able to recruit in high school, recruit in the portal, build the best team without the, you know, not to say this was always a thought at Ohio state, but it always in the back of your mind, it's like, we got to get the best class we can. It's like, this is about roster building, not class building to me. So you know, and then it was an opportunity at a power five level to, to run my own recruiting department. And so when I got the call, I was obviously interested from from the jump. And then I got to talk to Coach Satterfield and, and what his plans were for, you know, the fact that I was going to pretty much be able to build a department from scratch. <clears throat> they had lost two to Wisconsin and uh, Ashley was staying. So I had to find four people to come in and then help build the creative media department as well. So I thought it was a unique opportunity to where like Jack had worked with me at Ohio state and then he left for the jets, but I knew like what Jack was like, Jack was a, a groomsman in my wedding this past summer. Like he is one of my best friends. And then Cass was working with me at the time the job happened. I was like, I think we have a chance to do something really special and I can work with people I really, really like. And like, it was an opportunity that I could build the recruiting department how I wanted to see it. And when I talked to Coach Satterfield, we were talking, speaking the same language. Like his big thing was like, I want a GM to come in here and, you know, manage the roster and acquire talent through the lens of the head coach. And like it was with us speaking the same language in terms of player acquisition and uh, talent evaluation and everything and how to recruit the players made me feel like it was going to be a good fit. Um, and then obviously I was able to bring my guys with me. So, um, and then Caroline worked with coach sat at Louisville. So that was an easy fit. And same with Carter. He was basically on the bus over from Louisville with sat from day one. So like, um, we're just really blessed to have such a great recruiting staff and people I get to work with every day. But that phone call it happened, I think it was December 15th, like Monday, I got hired a week ago today. And then my first, I came to Cincinnati Monday, right before signing day last year. And then the kind of staff broke and then we reconvened after January. So just thinking back over the course of the year has been really cool. And obviously it's been turbulent at times, but you know, my job's to separate the results on the field from where I'm trying to help steer the program in the future. And I think we're on the right track with the guys we're bringing in and the process we have in place. And, you know, the start we're having to the 2025 class, which has been great, got two commitments already. And to think about a year ago at this time for Cincinnati, I wasn't thinking about 2024 recruiting at all. Like it was portal. And then we had to build everything, all the relationships after the fact. Try to we're keep the kids so that far we're committed. That now that the 25 class should be a lot, a lot uh, better even. And, you know, anytime you do something well, you have to continue to get better. Like we're not just going to try to, all right, that's the 24 class. Let's make it the same every year. It's like, no, let's take the next step and then the next step and then the next step, you know. That's, that's kind of where I was going to go here is how much, obviously Ohio is uber important within you know the 300 mile radius of the campus is uber important how much better do you guys just feel on the whole with the state 
going into 2025 than you did even in, in 2024. I mean, it's, I think the, the diehards understand that this is such a relationship driven thing. And it's like, you, like you've talked about earlier, you're recruiting guys, you know, one to two years ahead of time. And when you get here, like the 2023 class was already done when you got here and how much can you really do in the 2024 class when it comes to Ohio, because you're already behind the eight ball. So like, how do you guys feel the do you feel the difference for 25 compared to just what you were able to do this year? Yeah, absolutely feel the difference. Like it's uh it's night and day. Like <clears throat> last year I didn't feel like truly like I was not behind until about like September. Like you get here obviously I talked about January being big time portal. Right. And then like, I'm just getting my bearings. Like we had to move offices from the old bubble to we're now in the facility with the rest of the coaches and stuff. And, you know, once we got our footing and we started evaluating the players and there's a bunch of other players from all the other coaches that they had been recruiting in the past. It's like, all right, let's bring it all together, figure out who we like it. It, it, it's not the same processed way of identifying and evaluating that I'm used to and I, that I want to be. So like we really had to just have it come together in the 24 class in a late and rushed manner. If you're official visiting a high school class in June, you really only have like six, five to six months to build that relationship with those guys. <clears throat> now we had identified and did a preliminary evaluation on a lot of 25s through camps in the summer and then through August. And then when their junior tape went, it was like, all right, now we have conviction and now we know. And we know we like so many more guys than we knew at this time last year, you know? So I think that's a huge thing. And as it relates to Ohio, like I did feel like we tried to get in with a lot of guys, both in Cincinnati and in Ohio last year that, you know, it was almost, too late like we recruited them hard and they like we missed out on them and the emphasis is always going to start in cincinnati and then build out to ohio and the surrounding cities that are close to here um but we were late to the party and this year we're early to the party and you know ultimately we have to make sure we get them that's the biggest thing like it's a results driven business so we need to get the players that we're identifying and wanting early um you know, and I think it takes, it's going to take some, like, it, it'll take fan support in the NIL game, too, to to get players to stay in Cincinnati that used to not stay in Cincinnati. And that's what we need to have happen now, because at, recruiting at the Big 12 level is different than recruiting at the AAC level. There's less players that can play championship-level Big 12 ball than championship level American ball. So if we're going after a smaller pool, we're competing against better teams. So we're punching up a weight class and we need to make sure we get those guys and we need to collectively make sure we keep them here. Right. So um I'm like Chad was talking about earlier, you know, due to the portal, it's not like we're just gonna go reach down and get a guy we don't really like in high school anymore to build up the class. Back in the day, if we lost a, a running back or if we lost a 
like an outside linebacker or whatever, whoever we lost late in the class, or if we had a spot come open, you it's more likely that you'd just take a guy from local because you know who he is, right? Well, with all the other avenues to get a player, we're going to get the best player we can at all times. <clears throat> to me, the recruiting process is always driven by the player we're going after. Like now the players we're going after care more about Cincinnati if they're from Cincinnati. And that means something when they're on the team. Like there is a reason a lot of our really, really good players in the past and even now still on the team are from Cincinnati. Um, now, I don't think in recent history Cincinnati was recruited that well here. Like in the 23 class, there was zero signees from Cincinnati. The 22 class, there was a one. And the 2021 class, I think there was five. Then Dante Corleone's one, uh, Landon Fickle's one, and then the rest aren't on the roster. So this year we signed one, and in the future our goal is to sign significantly more than that, but they have to be the best ones. And that's our goal, and that's what we're going to try to accomplish. I'm, I'm all out of, of questions. Pickle, you got anything? <laughs> I think she's all out of questions, too. That's Pickle. She's the third host of this show, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, my dog's wow. running around here somewhere. Yeah, Pickle doesn't run around. She just sits. <laughs> yeah, she's been right hanging there. out. Love it. Hangs out, but yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks, man. That was yeah, uh, that was awesome. Course. Good. I'm and, glad. Uh, it, it's been a while in the making, but uh, we will definitely. I personally, I would like to make this like day after signing day every year. We sit down and, and catch up. That'd be great. That'd be great. All right. Let's do it. Maybe we'll do like a, a a biannual. We'll get you on once what in the summer, uh, and then we'll bring you back in the in the winter and kind of see where things are at. Check in. A yeah. Of if Jack cuts his beard, we'll have him come on too. But with, with the beard as it is, we probably can't show him uh, on live TV. We'll just make <laughs> him do one of these. Yeah, he can be a Twitter egg. Yeah, he, he could do. He could be the masked man. Maybe we could <laughs> find. Maybe by then they'll have a Streamyard filter, and we could give him one of those like filter faces. I know he's he's got a recognizable beard. It's ugly, <laughs> very. It's how, how, long is, how long has that thing been going? Ever since I met him. I mean, he had a big time beard right when I first met him last year. And he cut it one time and it was scary. And then... Grow it back. Grow it back. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> it grew back quick now. Like I mean, that thing can grow back to peak performance there in about a month. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, thanks for everything, man. That was awesome. And... Uh, this is the episode if you're looking to get caught up on uh, anything and everything you see recruiting. And, uh, awesome. Exactly. I'm glad we to do it. it, brother. Thank you. I got to yeah, do I some ads. I got to do right. some ads. You can go if you want. Do I press? Uh, <laughs> just X, X out. X out. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. man. Zach Grant, GM for the Bearcats. And uh, that was awesome. We tried to let him go, and he, he was like, no, I'm in. Yeah. Like, make, look, we told you our, this. Makes our job easier because, like, what else do we have to talk about tonight? I mean, I, mean, I was going to maybe, like, you know, get your insight on anybody in the signing class. But at this point, it doesn't matter what you say. Like, no. 
I mean, wait, what, I'm gonna wait, wait. I'm gonna come on and be like, oh yeah, see, I was watching this guy's tape, and uh, you know, I I thought you know he really did his bend here on this play was excellent. <laughs> I mean, we we've had Coach Sat, we've had the offensive coordinator, we've had the defensive coordinator, we've had the GM, and Keegan took all the stuff from signing day and transcribed yeah. it into five thousand yeah, words. Can, you can get a amateur scout. Dave Simone talking about all oh, speed to power on this play was was uh you know no no one cares. I mean he, he gave us an hour and a half plus of of a little bit of everything and you know really dug in on the process and which I find fascinating because I think that there are two types in, in college. There's recruiters who recruit to the, the history and the jersey and the helmet. And then there's the true tape grinders scouts. and yeah. scouts. And and I'm not saying one's better than the other. And I'm sure the, the big programs have both because they can afford to have both. Um, but, but it certainly is interesting how they are building a roster and how they are evaluating players. I thought that was, that was the one thing I took away last night at the event was just the, the process of, how a guy goes from, you know, here's a name all the way to a commit and the offers and watching their four hardest games. And I love that part. Like, I wanted to get back to that part, but it was so deep in the middle of that answer. But they don't watch. They don't just pull up a random game. We're going to watch your four hardest games uh, so that we don't get bad info. Yeah, and how, how like, bad team. You're playing a, a hard team, and your team is not having a good game. What are what is your body language? What what are you doing playing and play out when you know it's the, it's the third quarter and you're down twenty one and it's not going like this is not going to be your guys' night? Are you mailing it in, or are you still out there being a leader? Or are you still out there doing everything you can do? Like I thought that was super interesting last night, and then tonight, you know, going into that again. Yeah. Uh, that was that entire Zach Grant interview was brought to you by Turtles Brew, six percent ABV, zero sugar, zero carbs, gluten free, bourbon infused sweet tea. They have uh, lemonade tea, cherry lime, raspberry peach, orange vanilla. There's a hundred locations in the state of Ohio. Visit turtlesbrew.com for more information and a location near you. Also, we will get in. Uh, Home Field Apparel, www.homefieldapparel.com. Code BCJ23. You're probably not going to get it no. if you order it tonight before <laughs> Christmas. Probably not. But you can still get 15% off. Maybe your family's one of those families that, like, you know, has it a couple days after Christmas or, like, has it next weekend. Uh, hey, you may, can probably get it by then. Maybe you can call them and say, I'll drive to Indy and pick it up. Yeah, I'll come to the warehouse and get it. Uh, don't do that. We were kidding. Don't do that. Uh, code BCJ23. It's some of the best gear, some of the best uh, clothing that I own. Um, so you know, make it happen. Uh, homefieldapparel.com. Code BCJ23. All right, Dave. I, I like, I don't think there's a need to do much else no. at this point. I mean, what, what are we going to say at this point? Yeah, I. I the basketball, 
we've covered it ad nauseum. We will I'm, be back here I'm tomorrow night. I'm thankful that I don't have to. This was a great Wednesday, all signing day. Thursday, Zach. Now let's talk about basketball and, and how the lack of defense is a you know assault on my sensibilities. Uh, I, we, the problem with, with Merrimack, I think they played good defense about, against Merrimack, but they were offensively dreadful. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm just happy. Know. I'm just happy to talk some football these last two days. I know. I know. Hopefully we, we beat this, what are they, the dolphins, Stetson dolphins, Stetson porpoises, manatees. Like I'm sure it's some sort of sea animal that there is their mascot. Stetson's a cologne, right? Well, I mean, if you're, you know, born in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, you're familiar with that. But, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of sea mammal is their mascot. Where are they at? Are they on a, are they on the sea? Well, they're in Florida. I don't know what city they're in. Well, maybe they're not on the sea. The steps oh, they're, they're, in, they're inland Florida? Like an inland Florida school? I have no idea where they're at. <laughs> I don't know what city they're in. No clue. This is the hard-hitting uh, journalism that you come here. Yeah, for. I mean it's. Hey, look, you got you got to take Stetson serious, Dave. They did beat UCF at home. All right. The, I will say this: when you play these games that are like two, three days, right in that Christmas window, the break starts. Like the minute the horn sounds, you're on break for three days. I worry about those games. Against teams that don't have a pulse, so they are you know I mean? they are a little bit northeast of Orlando, so like pretty close to Daytona, not on the not on the ocean, but you know, fairly close. close. Yeah, close enough. Okay. Uh, I made a joke today on Twitter, and it didn't hit the way I thought it was gonna. It was like uh, it was the, the 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 dude Christian or whatever from UCF. That covers UCF. Oh, okay, yeah. And he was like, UCF goes undefeated, claims national championship, Florida State fans, what a joke. FSU goes undefeated, uh, blows up college football. And I was like, does that mean UCF's going to claim that they blew up college football? Like, I thought that was I thought that was pretty good. And it didn't. Probably the Stetson University is the, the Hatters. Uh, the it's, hat? just, it's just a guy with a big hat. That kind of um, he has like a um, handkerchief type thing. I mean, it, it really does not make any sense whatsoever. What uh, like the Mad Hatters, like Alice in Wonderland, or uh, oh, the Stetson like the Stetson the hats, cowboy, the cowboy hats. hats. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't I mean? So are like, they named after John B. Stetson? The guy that made the hats? I, I, I don't know. Maybe. Is he like their T Boom Pickens or Phil Knight? Like <laughs> I mean, he would have to be if they it's named funny. the whole damn university after him. I don't know. It's a big hat. It's funny. See? It it's is. A bigger hat than a normal hat. Yeah. Norm. Uh, R.I.P. Rest in peace, Norm. All right, we're going nowhere. Yeah, this is Merry nowhere. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you uh, celebrate. This is, the, this is the biggest the crowd's been. I know. 
I know. I, what What do you want us to do after that? Nothing. Like, That's why I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, we're on. Uh, that's the nightcap. We'll see you tomorrow night, potentially live after the Stetson game. It's not the nightcap. We still have to do the nightcap. Or that's the. You guys the need to get some get some hats for the uh, for the show tomorrow after the game. Yeah, I don't know if we're doing the nightcap, Aaron. It's, it might it might I might call it a night right here. <laughs> that's the BCJ podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail, right here on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>